Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Tonight, we are going to um, we're going to start something a little bit uh, different. Uh, the last time that we were on Wednesday night, uh, if you were here, you recall we wrapped up the, uh, the study on uh, spiritual maturity and um, been praying about covering 1 John for a while and uh, just praying about what um, that looks like and what God uh, would want us to do and, and when He would want us to do it. And so uh, I felt like as we wrapped up that, that it was a good time to start this study of 1 John. If you've uh, been a Christian for a while, you've probably read through the book of 1 John. Uh, maybe when you first got saved, someone encouraged you to read 1 John. Uh, it's really uh, theologically rich, it's doctrinally rich, uh, with so many things specifically concerning Jesus Christ. And so um, I, I'm excited about it. Uh, I love this book. Um, again, so much is contained within it. When you look at 1 John, uh, you kind of get a, a note of uh, defense, if you will. Uh, John defending, um, contending for the faith. And uh, I believe that we see that throughout this epistle, it was written to combat the false teachings uh, that were permeating even in the late first century. And so uh, when we look at uh, many of the things that were written here, it's from that perspective. And I think that's so important because it's important for us as Christians today to affirm who Jesus Christ is, the biblical Christ. Uh, Because when we look at what culture says and what even cultural Christianity today, uh, it's not necessarily the biblical Jesus that we get. And again, that's so important. So I said, well, it's not a big deal as long as Jesus, no, 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 no. There is one God, there is one Christ, and it's Jesus the Christ. And again, it's, he is found, uh, his, the person, the, the experience, of course, uh, is found in Scripture. But uh, when we read First John, we'll get a, a lot better understanding, we'll solidify uh, and strengthen uh, those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who he is to us and what that means lived out in our lives. And so uh, let's pray and we'll jump into this. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to be here again. Uh, thank you for what we've already experienced in um, just this time of, of singing. And uh, Lord, we thank you that we can enter into your presence because of the blood, because of the grace uh, that you've extended to us. And Lord, we ask that you would be with us now, that you would Uh, Speak to us through your spirit as we look into your word. Uh, I pray that we would be filled with uh, encouragement, uh, strength. We would would take from this what you want us to take from it. Uh, Lord, I I pray that you just use me as a vessel. God, if there's someone here that doesn't have a right understanding of who you are and who the Christ is, Lord, if they maybe don't have that intimate relationship with you, uh, then I pray tonight would be that night that it changes for them that their life changes, that they're born again, and they enter into that relationship with you through faith in the one and only uh, Christ. And uh, Lord, we, um, we thank you for this time. And I ask you to bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, it's unclear, as I said a while ago, probably written to combat some of the false teachers, false doctrine. Uh, we don't necessarily see it spelled out, who these people were. Uh, in John's, uh, the first epistle, epistle here from John, Uh, But there are a couple of thoughts or schools of thought who these people might be because based off of what John writes and based off of what the the false doctrines or the beliefs of these people are, 
Uh, we could say maybe it's this group of people that John was really uh, combating today, uh, in, in his day. Today we could look around and we could say, well, what are some of the false doctrines that are out there that we combat? You know, we can go around the room and we can name so many. We could talk about, um, you know, one, one false religion after the other. We could talk about even uh, false, if you will, denominations, if, the, if that's the case, that, that claim to be Christians, but they don't hold to the right Christ, they don't hold to Jesus the right way. And, and that's where we have to all remember what much of it boils down to is who people say that Jesus Christ is. And again, that's, we, we went through an entire study with that, and, and Jesus asked his own disciples, who do you say that, who, do, who men say that I am? They said, well, some say you're this, and some say that. He said, but who do you say that I am? And, uh, and, and Peter was very, very clear in saying, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one. You are the one prophesied before. You are the eternal God come in flesh. Again, Peter made it very clear. And that's where when you start looking at different religions and different false, even pseudo-Christian religions, when I say pseudo-Christian religions, they're not truly Christians because they don't hold Jesus Christ in, uh, in, in right regard uh, what Scripture says. And so, <coughs> excuse me, they, uh, in, in many of them where they fall down is when it comes down to his deity. His deity means that his, his uh, nature of, the nature of him being God. So a lot of times when you look at somebody, well, why are they wrong? It's because they don't hold Jesus Christ as God. They may think he is a God. They may think he became a God. They may think that he is a son of God, but not the son of God. Um, again, so many different variations. Not only that, you battle that, but you also battle those who claim to be Christians, but they make Jesus someone who he is not very clearly revealed in Scripture. And you may have friends like that. You may work with people like that. And, and they call themselves Christians. They go to a church that claims to be Christian, but they do not hold Christ in the right regard. And so, again, you start looking at stuff like that, and you start wondering, oh, wow, does that mean that they aren't truly saved if they don't hold Christ in the right regard? And my answer to that would be, I don't believe so. Because I believe that you have to believe Jesus as he says he is and who Scripture says he is and what he has done in order to have the right kind of faith. And so somebody says, well, man, I mean, does that mean a lot of people might be lost? Yeah. Jesus made it so simple. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not a version of me. It's not some watered-down version. It's not some alter alternate. It's, it's me. I am the way. It's through Jesus Christ, again, as we see revealed in the Word of God. And so when somebody says, well, I think their heart's in the right place, their heart has to be given to Christ in order to be saved, period. All of us. We can't make him somebody we want him to be or think him to be something else. And again, that's where it, it, makes, it, can, it can come so close, but it still be so wrong. Jesus said that many are on the path that leads to destruction, and there's only few that are on the narrow path that leads to life everlasting. And so as much as we would want to hope that people who are, are trying are going to make it, the reality is, is there, we can't do it. No, there's no other way other than Jesus Christ. And so again, when we look at, at Scripture and we see that John, the apostle, is, is having this defense of who Jesus is, uh, these groups who may be uh, speaking poison into that, early, or that late first century uh, church, uh, one group may be the Gnostics. And so I, I put this on there, and you can jot some of it down, but Gnosticism uh, is basically systems that believe that the material wor world is created 
by an emanation or works of a lower God, a, a demiurge. A demiurge, I'm sorry. Trapping the divine spark within the human body. Now it goes on to say that uh, this divine spark could literally uh, be liberated by gnosis. Okay? Gnosis is the word for knowledge. And so this divine spark that's inside of the human body that has uh, basically done, been done by this lower God could be sparked by spiritual knowledge. This spiritual knowledge is sparked and it's acquired through direct experience. And so in other words, the Gnostics thought you, no one could really know and the only way that you could is if you had this divine spark ignited inside you because you experienced something. Some of the core teachings include that all matter is evil and the non-material spiritual realm is good. Number two is there's an unknowable God, as I said a while ago, who gave rise to the many lesser spirit beings called eons. Number three, the creator of the material universe is not the supreme God, but an inferior spirit, the demiurge. Number four, Gnosticism does not deal with sin. It only deals with, with ignorance or the lack of knowledge. Lastly, to achieve salvation, all you need is gnosis or knowledge. And so again, the, the, the battle may have been with them, or it might have been uh, with Docetism. This was a heresy uh, that basically made an assertion that Christ's human body was a phantom, uh, and that his suffering and his death merely appeared to be suffering and death. Because in human reasoning, how could God go through that if he's really God? If Jesus was God, so it wasn't actually that. It was a phantom. If he suffered, he was not God. And if he was God, then he did not suffer. They deny the humanity of Christ, but affirmed his deity, uh, which is the opposite of Arianism. It's affirmed his humanity of Jesus, but denied the deity of Christ. The Cetism was already uh, present in this time when, when John would have been writing this uh, epistle. And so, um, basically... Those, as John would write, that deny Jesus Christ has come in the flesh are those who he's writing to. So whether it was those people who thought that, that you could come to a faith in God or come to a, a, a salvation experience through just knowing the right things, having spiritual knowledge through experience, or whether you held to the fact that Jesus Christ couldn't have been God in the flesh because he suffered and he died. And today, as I said, in our culture, there's so many versions uh, of, of beliefs of who Jesus is and who he's not and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's absolutely essential. It's absolutely vital for us as Bible-believing Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, to absolutely know what Scripture, what scripture uh, who he is according to Scripture. Absolutely vital. If we say we know him, we better know him. 1 John gives us this great understanding as well as who we are and who we are to be in him. We see in this, this book of 1 John that when all the basics of faith are in operation in our life, we not only have joy, but we can live a holy life and we can be assured of salvation. And, and that's an amazing thing that we'll get through this because you know, I, I know that the reality is there's people in this, in this room tonight, I know that you probably have some struggles sometimes. Or maybe you've had them in the past, or maybe you're sitting there tonight and you have struggled with assurance of salvation. Maybe you're, you're thinking, man, 
I, I believe in Christ, but there's times that I, I'm, I'm struggling whether I, I truly know that I'm going to go to heaven. There's times that it strikes fear in, in my heart. We know that this, the scriptures tells us we're far from perfect. We'll see that in 1 John as well. But when we see what we see in scripture, this assurance comes, especially when we find ourselves learning to love one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what John will say in chapter 4. And so again, I, I love this book. We're only going to get a few verses tonight. Uh, I think the first four verses is what we're going to look at and kind of break down a little bit. And uh, so if you got your Bibles there, you can read along. We're going to read the verses and then we'll go back and, and break them down. Verse 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled the word of life. Verse 2, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ and these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. Re doubtless there are critics of scripture there's critics of the bible today we know that i mean you can pull up all kinds of information even on the internet maybe you, you work with somebody maybe you have family maybe you have friends maybe you've talked to people before that says that say things like this well we can't really know for sure that the bible is 100 percent accurate maybe you've had a, a discussion with somebody who says well the bible was written by human people by human, uh, humans wrote the Bible, man wrote the Bible, and so it's flawed. Maybe you had a conversation with, with somebody who says, I believe there's parts of the Bible that are true, but I believe there's parts of the Bible that aren't true. Maybe you had a conversation with somebody that says, I, I believe there, there's some things that I can just believe that I see in Scripture, and there's some things I just can't believe. And so again, there's, there's no doubt critics uh, of Scripture. But I want to say tonight that the absence uh, of faith is the reason for the questions. Absence of faith is the reason for the criticism. And not only that, it's a lack of understanding of the accuracy of the Bible. Again, if the Bible were put on trial, there is no doubt there would be indisputable evidence, even outside of the Bible, that the Bible was 100% accurate. I mean, history proves the things over and over again. Archaeology over and over and over again proves that what the Bible has said for thousands of years is absolutely true. Never been proven wrong. And so if we just put the Bible on trial and took extra biblical resources or extra biblical sources to try to see if it was credible or not or reliable or not, it would be proven 100% reliable. That's on top of all of the support that the Bible has within itself. Now the Word of God, I know I'm standing here tonight as a preacher and I'm saying this, it doesn't need any proof. I'm not saying that, we, that, that any of us have to Prove that the Bible is true because the Bible is true. Jesus needs no proof that he is real, that he is the son of God. He needs no defense in that. But I will say this, in a dark world, in a world that's deceived, that's blinded by the God of this world, as Scripture says, it's vital, as I said earlier, that we as the followers of Christ have an absolute understanding of who he is and who he is to us. If we've been born again, if we've been forgiven, by the grace of God, if we, if we are the children of God, the followers of Jesus, the only Christ, then we must know what we believe and why. 
and it centers around Jesus Christ. It's about a person. It's about a relationship. And so uh, it, we have to know. Paul said that. Paul knew. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, he wrote to Timothy, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I'm not ashamed. Look what he says next. For I know who I have believed. And I'm fully persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him against that day. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind that I know Jesus Christ and I know without a shadow of a doubt that he will guard what I've given my life to him to the day that he returns. Now, speaking of the culture, much of which denies uh, who Jesus, the biblical Jesus is. I said a while ago, it's interesting that there's so many words and phrases that our culture uses today. People who, are, who don't know Jesus, people who uh, don't believe in the biblical Jesus. They use these phrases and they don't even realize sometimes they, they come from uh, the scriptures. And so I, I just put a few of these up on the board for us to look at. In Job chapter 19, verse 20, somebody has said before, man, we, we escaped that by the, he escaped that by the what? The skin of his teeth. Right? Yeah, I mean, you probably had relatives that said that when you were growing up. They had, you know, maybe they weren't saved at all. Matthew chapter 12 Verse 25, you, you hear coaches say it, you, you hear uh, presidents say it. You know, sometimes presidents quote scriptures and they don't even realize it because it's such historical uh, significance in the sayings. A uh, house divided against itself can't stand, you know. Um, the other ones, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 15, is a drop in the bucket, right? Somebody says something to you, man, that is behemoth. That's found in Job chapter 40. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 8, somebody talks about a scapegoat, right? You see it in, in Scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, to everything there's a season. Uh, Psalms chapter 107, verse 27, I've come to my wit's end. So again, even in, in our culture, we may use so much of God's Word without even knowing it, um, it's so important for us to have a grasp, a great grasp, again, on who Jesus Christ is. So let's go back and look at verse 1. Again, and it says this, That which from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, that which we have, uh, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, if, if somebody were to say, I heard this, I, um, you know, somebody told me this, uh, then you might say, well, there's room for error. But when somebody says, I have seen this, I've held this, I know this is, is real, uh, then you take a little bit more credible uh, take on what they're going to tell you. Based on firsthand experience, John was saying, under the Holy, uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to set something straight about Jesus Christ. These false doctrines that, that are circulating, again, it's obvious, as I said in the beginning, that there were those who refuted to, uh, to the, the reality of who Jesus was. They refused to believe who he was, both God and man. At the same time. And so that, that's a hard thing for me to understand. So let's talk about that for just a second. I'm not going to stand on the stage and begin to be able to, uh, or pretend to be able to explain the hypostatic union of Christ. What the hypostatic union of Christ means is he was 100% God and 100% man at the same time. Now, again, where you start to get into Docetism, where, where they say that he can't be God because he, he suffered. He, he was, and God can't suffer like that. If he's God, if he's almighty, he can't do that. 
And so, again, that's where these, these uh, even pseudo-Christian denominations and pseudo-Christian religions and even other false religions get into trouble is many of them start to try to humanize and rationalize who Jesus Christ is. And John was, is about to say who he is. And, and, and he's saying, look, this is, there's, there's a problem with these doctrines that are out there, these, these people that are pouring out this, this poison about Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, we have seen, we have handled, we have heard. Again, when we think about this, this hypostatic union, he was 100% God, 100% man, it's this mystery to the creation. I don't get it, because I don't see anything else like that in this world. You're either human or you're not, you know. But if the creator can create, and the creator can design, and not only in design, but designate how he deems appropriate, just because we can't rationalize it doesn't mean that God can't do it. We have a very small lens that we look through in this life experience. The lens of our eyes, and, and, and the Bible says the light of the body is the eyes, and so we, we, we see things, we hear things. We can even go back in history, and, but that is still a very small lens that we look through when you think about eternity. I've only been on this earth for 40 years. Some of you have been here 60, 70 years maybe. Some of you have been on here for less. That, think about that. That is just a couple of decades. And at the most, we, we live a century, maybe a little bit beyond a century, on this earth, but we're talking about not just a thousand years, not just a few thousand years, not just many thousand years, not even a million years, not even several million years, not even a billion years, or even many billions of years, or trillions of years, or on and on and on. We're talking about an infinite, endless, no time amount of time. <laughs> Eternity. And so when we think well, I don't see how this is possible. How, how, how foolish of us to take that. When, when God has given us his word, again, John, has, John said, look, that was from the beginning. We have seen, we have heard, we've handled with our own hands. It's real. He is real. Again, scripture supports that he was God-man, that he was God incarnate, 100% God, 100% man. John was saying maybe in this dual statement about Christ here, the one from everlasting, the everlasting father, as Isaiah would prophesy. The word in the beginning, as John said in John chapter 1. But also that John had been with the, others, uh, the other disciples, these firsthand eyewitnesses of Jesus and his ministry. To John, he wasn't an illusion. He wasn't a myth. To John, he wasn't a dream or a hallucination, or he wasn't some type of religious system. To John, he wasn't some fantasy or this dream or this hope, this wishful thinking of something beyond this life and this great teacher. He was not that. He was the I am incarnate. To John, he was the incarnate word. He had seen him. He had experienced him. His life was changed. And he goes on to say in verse 2, to clarify, for the life was manifested. The life was manifested. And we have seen it. And we bear witness and we show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and which was manifested unto us. Again, John supporting the co-equality and the coexistence of God the Father and God the Son. That's so vital. 
Because again, you maybe don't run into it, maybe you don't see it, maybe you don't experience it yourself. But again, this is where the, a lot of the, the, uh, the trouble comes with Jesus Christ being God. He was coexistent, is coexistent, and co-equal with God the Father. So is God the Holy Spirit. Those three are one. And so John is saying he was from the beginning. He was with the Father, and he came forth from the Father. He was manifested unto us. And Jesus, as I said earlier, spoke directly about this, about him being not just the way to life, but him being the life. In John chapter 14, verse 6, you can see it again. Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is those things. He doesn't produce those things. He doesn't, he doesn't give those things. He is those things. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. You go back to John chapter 1 you, in, in the Gospels, and you see in John chapter 1, same John saying this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word? Yeah, the Word of God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. He was the Creator. He's the Everlasting Father. As I said, Isaiah said that about the Messiah, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. I believe Isaiah chapter 9. And so again, we see John defending who Jesus Christ is in this. It must be understood. It has to be. It has to be understood that there is no life aside from Jesus Christ. We have to have that. And so I believe that. We're going over elemental principles. Listen, it'll get a little bit deeper. But this has to be settled. Jesus, yes, gives life. But who resides in us? Jesus. He, he said, if any man abide in me and I, I in him, the same abides in the Father. He is the life. The entire world is in darkness. The entire world is separated from God because of sin. And Jesus Christ is the only hope. That's why when we talk about sharing the gospel, when we talk about the mission that we're on, it's not something light. It's not something, well, I just don't know if I, no, he is the only hope. He is the only way. John was writing to, the, to, to, to these believers, probably in, in modern-day Turkey, but he, he's writing and, he, and he's saying, listen, we've experienced him. The life from all eternity past. God, the Father, was manifested to us. And God, the Son, who's always been from the beginning, the Word. He's the Word. He is the Word of life. He is eternal life. And he came in human form before us. And we saw him, and we hugged him, and we listened to him, and he invaded our lives, and we surrendered to him, and he changed us. He is the I am. But we, again, we see the world standing apart from God, just like we were before we were in Christ, in darkness, separated because, because of sin. And I love Romans chapter 5, and look at Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And here's the, the, the condemning statement. So death passed upon all men, because all have sinned. Again, the world sits in death. It sits in condemnation. John chapter 3 tells us that. Not John chapter 3. Um, it's in John. John says that, that we are condemned already if we don't believe in Jesus Christ. Death passed upon all because all have sinned. For until the law, sin 
was in the world, but sin, uh, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. Moses was the point in which the law came into to man's life. So even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Talking about Jesus. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, because if, if, if it was through Adam's sin, all have sinned, much more through the, the grace of God and by the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Think about that. It, it may not, if you've been raised in church like me or you've been a Christian for a while, it, it may not impact you, but I'm, I'm asking you to meditate on this for just a second. All of the sin of all of the world came from Adam's sin. That's a, that's a big mess up. That, that's, a, that's a big weight. I, I've shared this before. I, 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 can't, I couldn't stand here and count the, the sins that I've committed in the last day, the last week, the last month. There's probably things that, that I committed against God that I didn't recognize or realize after the day was over. Maybe opportunities that I missed, and, and, and in my omission, I, I sinned. Maybe it was in an attitude or a thought or, or something like that. And I, and I didn't confess that before God, and, 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 and it's covered with the blood, and it's, it's forgiven. It's not just my sins. I mean, it would, it would, I think the sins in, in my life, even for the, the 40 years, I think would, would take up more space than I could imagine if we were able to materialize our sins. Like bricks. But think about that. That's just one person. If we took all of the sins from all of our lives in just this room, there's no way that we would be able to, to fully comprehend how did we sin that much? It would be overwhelming, I believe. And we're just one generation of people. Generation after generation, millions upon billions of people, upon trillions of people throughout the ages have all been sinners. All that sin came because that sin entered into the bloodstream of mankind through Adam's sin. And the scripture tells us, not in the same way, but it was one, with one man, that all were extended grace. The Bible says that it abounded to many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. It wasn't the same way that it happened, for the judgment was come to one to con, uh, by one to condemnation, but the free gift is to many offenses unto justification. For by, and, and by the way, the, the word many that it's using in here is the same word, for, it's an un, encompassing everyone. It's just the translation here. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one person, death reigned over all humanity. Think about that. that that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of sin. That's a lot of sin. Look at this much more what can overcome all of that sin and conquer all of that sin much more they which receive the abundance of grace and the gift 
of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Every single one of us is in that condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, Jesus Christ, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. It's offered to all. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered. Why did the law come when Moses was there? So that the offense would be made very clear that it was an offense. There was sin, the Bible says, that we just saw, from Adam to Moses. There was sin, obviously. But when the law came, it made it abundantly clear that sin was sin. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness, listen to this, unto eternal life, by Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, you've been a Christian for a long time. You've read that hundreds of times. You've been raised in church. And, and you see those things, and you're like, yeah, I know those things. But I, again, I'm asking you to think about this. The monumental work of God in the flesh to satisfy the righteous demands, the wrath of God against all of humanity's sin was taken care of by Jesus Christ. What one man, God in the flesh, he took care of it. We were given eternal life. It was Jesus Christ. Him alone. Again, man abides in death. The judgment of God because of sin rests upon every single man. No matter how good they may think they are, the world thinks they are, every man is unrighteous in the eyes of the righteous God. And when you consider that's why Jesus Christ, God, life, eternal life, the word of life, the word came to earth. That's when life came to man. Death abided, death ruled, death, the Bible says death reigned under condemnation. We had no hope. We have no hope. Anybody in this room without Jesus Christ has no hope for eternal life. Because he is eternal life. He is it. He's the only life. And so when John's writing this, that's what he saw. After following Jesus, after surrendering his life, after uh, pressing his, his, his head up in, into Jesus' bosom and, and holding him and walking with him and following him and listening to him and, and, and all those things, John came to this conclusion that he is life. That's what he saw. Not only did he see that and hear that, he experienced it. And he saw the life give life to others. He goes on in verse 3, That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you, may also, you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship was with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Again, you can skip over that and say that's you know, <laughs> spiritual rhetoric that, that we know. You know. We know that John's saying, uh, you know, our only fellowship is through Jesus Christ. And the only way that we can have fellowship with each other is if we have fellowship with, with Christ. And the only way we have fellowship with, uh, with the Father is through Jesus Christ. But this is what makes the incarnate word amazing. God the Son. It makes a couple things, a few things possible. Number one, as I already said, it makes eternal life possible. Think about that. God so loved the world that he gave that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life he is eternal life without jesus christ we have no life 
There is no life apart from eternal life. Again, we live in a temporal world that now is governed by death because of sin. We already saw that in Romans chapter 5. So our only hope at life, our only hope at eternal life is because of the incarnate word, because of Jesus Christ. Number two, it makes possible fellowship with divinity. Fellowship with divinity. And I'll talk about that in just a second, which is a phenomenal thing. I've shared this before. I'm not going to get into it in great detail, but some of you know, you've heard it, you've, been, you've heard it in Sunday school classes, you've maybe taken institute classes. Again, I've shared it briefly in, in some messages. Maybe you heard it there as well as your, as your personal study. Uh, but in, the, in the, um, the sacrificial days in uh, the nation of Israel, in the sacrificial system, uh, it was the high priest only who could enter into the holiest of holies one time a year to enter an offering for sin upon the mercy seat to cover the sins of the entire nation. And it was only that high priest. When Jesus Christ, our high priest, died on Calvary, the Bible says that veil in the temple was rent. The veil that kept everybody else from being able to see even into the holiest of holies. It was opened. Jesus Christ made the way for common man like you and me, not high priests like, like only certain people were high priests, common people like us, to be able to enter into fellowship with divinity. It's a phenomenal thing. Well, again, I'll talk about it more in just a second. But the third thing is knowledge of and a relationship with God as Father. And again, that's huge. John's talking about the importance of who Jesus Christ is and what they've experienced. And, and, and again, defending his, his divinity, defending what, uh, or explaining what he has, what they have received, what all Christians receive because of Jesus Christ. And if it wasn't for Christ, we would not have knowledge of and we could not have a relationship with God as Father. Again, without this, what does this mean? It means that you and I stand alone to face an almighty God as judge in our own defense. Think about that. I mean, some of us had, have trouble winning arguments sometimes in the home. Sometimes we have trouble winning arguments at work. Sometimes we have problems winning you know, certain debates with, with, with people at work and we don't have all the right answers. Think about this. Standing before, a, before an all-knowing God who has known everything from before there was time, every single thought you, the Bible says that, that, uh, that we'll be accountable for every idle word, that, that, that he knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart, that all these things God knows. And so we're going to stand before God without the incarnate word to face an all-knowing God who is looking, who is righteous, to eliminate all wickedness and unrighteousness, which those who without, are without Christ abide in unrighteousness, have condemnation on their head. So we, without, that's the importance of Jesus Christ to us. Without Christ, we can't call God Father. Without Christ, we can't, we have no mediator to stand between us and a God who will eliminate all unrighteousness and evil. We have no hope. We stand before him hopeless and helpless. And the Bible says that those who stand like that before God will be speechless. The, 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 there, there's no, nothing to say. But speaking of this fellowship, 
fellowship with divinity. True fellowship, koinonia, the Greek word, is more than sitting after a service, eating fried chicken, talking about the cowboys, or whatever. That's not true fellowship. It's not what John was talking about. This word koinonia is communion. It speaks to community. It speaks to partnership. It speaks to sharing. And it involves all parties' participation. So when we, we call it fellowship, we go next door and have a meal, there, there's, there can be fellowship involved, but sometimes there's not both parties participating. It involves distribution. It involves giving, as I said, participation from both people, which is an amazing thing, right? Because if we look at our lives, the Bible says that there's none righteous, no, not one. There's, there's, there's none that doeth good at any time. None of us have anything in ourselves. Isaiah 64 says that uh, all of our righteousness are filthy rags. We have nothing to offer a holy God. And yet because of Jesus Christ, we can enter into this paternal relationship with Almighty God, the wrathful judge against all of sin, and we can call him Father. We can enter boldly into the throne room. And we can, we can this is what we can do. We can give to him. And you know what he wants to do with us? He wants to give with us, give to us. He, the, Jesus said that. If you, know, if you are evil, know how to good, give, good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you if you ask him? It's a, it's a fellowship. It's a, it's a, it's a mutual participation. It's a, it's, it's, it involves this. And so when John is telling them, truly our fellowship, we, you, you can be in fellowship with us. We, you can be in this with us. And, and the only reason we can have fellowship with the, the divine is because of Jesus Christ. You can, you, can, you can call him Father, Abba, Daddy. You can call him that because of Jesus, not because of any other thing or any other person. You don't have to say, oh, fearful God wrathful God have mercy no Jesus walked that road for you he he took the wrath he took the punishment he opened the veil and we're the ones that can enter in because of Christ and call him father and have fellowship and ask him and give to him and he can ask of us and give to us and we have this communion with him that's the picture we see in scripture of what Jesus does who are in fellowship with him, in a relationship with him. John was passionate in this because he very clearly experienced this. That's what he's been saying. We've seen it. We've handled it. We've heard it. It's changed our lives. But for us today, this is what is offered through the Spirit of God. It's, it's the same thing. John was eyewitness. He was firsthand. He saw the incarnate word. But he's the same Christ revealed in Scripture that John was saying he heard, he saw, he, he experienced. It's the same Christ. And when we understand that, I think that we can better appreciate what was written and preserved for us. Hopefully it would give us a better take on when we look at God's word. Wow. See, that's why it's so important to understand 
how important Jesus Christ is, understanding who he is, who he is. because it's when, when, when you don't have a regard and a respect and, and a reverence and an understanding and a grasp on who Jesus Christ is and who, most importantly, he is to you individually, then when you look at this book, that's what you look at. It's a book. I can either take it or leave it. I mean, I'm glad I have it, but it's not, it's not vital to me. But when you get a grasp, even if it's a small grasp, on who Jesus is and who he is to you and how important that is and what that means, then when you look at Scripture, it absolutely changes your take on it. Wow, God has preserved this for me. And that's what John reiterates in verse 4. It produces something. John was saying, man, we've got something and we want you to have it. But the only way for you to have this is if you get who Jesus is. And you, and you have him in your life like we've experienced him in our life. This is the only way that you can have what he says. And look what he says in verse 4. And these things we write unto you that your joy may be full. Today we live in a society that's inundated with, with and I'm not trying to minimize if you're struggling with this. You have to understand, I'm not, I'm not, there's nothing in this, I'm just stating a fact. But we're inundated with anxiety and depression and mental um, struggles and, and, and I believe in part we have so much going on in our world we have so much going on in our minds we have so many stressors in our lives we have so there's, there's so much information overloading our lives on top of chemical things that maybe we have in 2019 that they didn't have centuries ago I mean I think there's so many different factors that are going on in our life that, that, that we are dealing with things that, at certain levels that is just astronomical And you, if you take medicine for that, praise God. You know, there's, there's chemical imbalances. There's things that have to be righted and, 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 and put back on, on equal scales. Absolutely. But I, I'm not talking about a mental thing. I'm not talking about an emotional thing. I'm not talking about something that you can get from medicine or from an experience or from a circumstance or from any other thing. John's not talking about that. He's saying, we're giving you the word of God that your joy that supersedes any experience, any circumstance, any feeling, any thought, anything. We are giving you this so that your joy would be full. The word is complete. That you would have a complete joy. The joy is a fruit of the Spirit, we're told in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace. You know, it, it goes like that. It's something that we are given by God when we get saved because we're given the Holy Spirit. And part of the evidence, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, first of all, joy, second. Joy. Joy is also fostered in our relationship through the knowledge of who Jesus Christ is. And that's what John was saying. And that comes through the word of God. We have joy, as I said, regardless of circumstances. We have joy simply because of this, because of Jesus. I, I want to submit to you tonight that if you feel like, I'm not talking about happiness, I'm not talking about mental struggle, I'm not talking about uh, stuff like that. If there's not 
an abiding joy. Yeah, I'm struggling with this mentally, I'm struggling with this emotionally, but I have a joy. I have something that is making me smile inside, and it won't go away. How to have that is to have Jesus Christ. But once you have Jesus Christ, he's writing to Christians, and he says that your joy may be complete. See, I believe that as we go along in our Christian lives, sometimes, as I believe I have in my life, we can forget about the importance of Jesus. Well, he's important because, praise God, we're going to heaven and we're saved. No, no, no. I'm talking about this fellowship. I'm talking about this experience, this life change, who he is, what he has done, meditating on those things and letting those things complete our joy. Regardless of, of what mental struggles or physical struggles or emotional struggles or, or whatever we're going through, our, our spirit inside can still smile with a full smile that your joy may be full, complete, with a complete smile, a complete joy inside if we keep focused on Jesus Christ. If we stay in touch and in tune and, 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 and focused on him. Again, this joy that we receive from the truth, from Jesus, from this knowledge and this relationship, it's not intended to be a partial joy, a limited joy. It's intended to be a complete joy, but it goes back to focusing on Jesus. That's what John's doing. When we have Jesus, the true Jesus, we lack nothing. When we stay focused on Christ, when we esteem him and hold him every day in, 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 in love and, and affection, it's exactly what 1 Peter says uh, in chapter 1. He says, Simon Peter, servant, and I'm about to be done. Servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. This is how we've obtained it. He says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Listen to what he says. According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here's how he's given us. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Whereby, by him, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these, these promises, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Again, it's the view of Jesus Christ, what he's done, what he has done for us. This evening, I want to make sure, I want to ensure that we have the true Jesus, the biblical Jesus in our life. If you don't, Tonight's the night to make sure that he invades your life, changes your life, and lives, abides in you as you abide in him. Amen. Tonight's that night. Don't, don't let it go. Because if you don't have that Jesus, you don't have life. That's what scripture says. If you have that Jesus tonight as a Christian, my, my prayer was that all of us would be pushed to be satisfied in Christ alone. That we tonight would reflect and meditate on who he is. And we'd come to that place where we said, you know what? Christ is enough. He's enough for me. I'm satisfied with Jesus alone. Brother Sean sings that song, recently sang it a couple times. The, the, word, the lines in the song go, I just want you and nothing else. I just want you and nothing else. That should be the song of our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. I just want Jesus and nothing else.
Let's be encouraged with this. Let's be encouraged with the truth. The only reason that we have life is because of Christ. Let's be encouraged tonight because our life, as I said, can become so cluttered. We can be so distracted. And tonight, a simple yet a very complex reminder of what it's all about. What is it all about? It's all about Jesus. And I'm so thankful that I have Jesus. I'm so thankful I know the real Jesus. And if you do tonight, let's be grateful for that. Let's be grateful because he is life. He is eternal life. He is our hope. He is our mediator. He has given us everything. It's all because of Jesus. Another song, all because of Jesus, I'm alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these reminders. Thank you for this study we're starting, Lord. Thank you for your word. God, I, I know we do. We, there's so many battles out there for truth. In truth, you are truth. Lord, there's nothing that we can say to add or to help you. My prayer is that we would rightly handle the truth. Just as, as you said in Scripture, that we are to rightly divide, rightly handle the word of truth. God, help us to press into you. Help us not to be reminded of how important you are to us, how important Jesus is. God, that we would, maybe tonight there, there are some in this place that have fallen out of love with their first love. Maybe they've, their, their affections have been pulled aside from you. I pray tonight would be the night that all of us as your followers those of us who can call you Father because of Jesus, that we'd fall back in love with Jesus. Tonight would be the night our hearts were stirred with affection for you. Lord, that our joy could be complete. That regardless of what we face, regardless of what we're feeling, regardless of what we go through, that our, our, our inner man can smile with joy because of who you are and what you've done. Lord, just move now in this our, our, our time to respond, and we'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name.